It's a blessing that you're here this morning, especially for those of you guys in the room. I know some of you probably had to deal with some muddy roads uh, getting out and getting here. And uh, I just, I consider it an honor that you're here. Let me say welcome to you guys who are watching online. It's an honor that you are a part of this with us, that you chose to spend your time with us this morning. And uh, I just want to say a quick thank you to all the Dream Team serving, both in the parking lot and out front, um, all of our guys and girls in the uh, nursery and kids' church, uh, just serving and loving and trying to help people take their one step. We're going to kick off this morning a uh, really a, just a, a two-week series. And uh, in February, a lot of most years, we try to do a relationship series, just something about... Um, about marriages, life, and relationships, how we can make those better. Um, guys, this is, your, this is your heads up. Valentine's Day is on Tuesday. And if you're terrible at it like I am, this is your warning. So uh, wives, ladies, um, if you get nothing, they've been warned. All right? So guys, I'm trying to help you out this morning. Um, doesn't have to be something big, but put some thought into it and figure out a way to, to say I love you. Um, because you love them, not because it's Valentine's Day. Amen? Amen. All right, we're going to start off this series today, and we're going to look starting uh, for two weeks. We'll base it off this, this verse. In Jeremiah 31, verse 3, this is out of the message, which is a paraphrase. It's not an exact, it's a, it's a paraphrase of the English uh, version. And I just like the way this guy uh, writes this. He says, God told them, God talking to us, says, I'm never going to quit loving you, and will never and never will. It says, expect love. Say those words with me. Expect. All right, now, let's try it again. Expect. Love. There you go. Come on now. We got, we got plenty of caffeine out there. There's no excuse. But the, God says in his love to his people, he says, you need to know this. I'm never going to, the one version, the other version says, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. It says, never will I quit loving you. And you can always expect love. Now, if we're honest, when we go home, let me, let me say this too. If you're not married, don't tune me out. I'm going to be speaking to the married folks today. But if you're not married, because these principles will work in almost all your relationships. So don't tune me out. If you want to be married, lean in a little closer and take notes because I'll save you a lot of heartache, okay? I'll save you a lot of trouble. But if we're honest, sometimes those mornings or days when we leave the house, maybe the night before, we, we didn't get along too well with our spouse. And we come home, or maybe it's that you have an argument on the phone. You know, you argue over something like, something really deep and, and uh, strenuous like, why didn't you feed the dog? You know, something just really, it should just rip marriages apart, like feeding the dogs. But we get home, and we come home, and if we're honest, if you're like me anyway, it's my, this is all on me. This is not Melanie. You open the door, and it's like, what am I walking into, right? All right, am I the only one? Are y'all just holier than thou? Nobody's ever been in trouble with your spouse? Bull. But you open that door, and it's like, what... What environment am I about to walk into? What are my expectations? Am I about to get, get it handed to me on a silver platter? Or is it love and, hey, it's good to see you? 
See, God says in his sight, you should expect nothing less. No matter what you do, no matter how, how bad you behave, no matter how, what a bonehead thing you do, the Bible says when you open the door and go into God's, you're in God's presence, he says, you can expect love. But if we're honest, the world's view today really says something like this. We really, the world says, well, just hope they love you today. Like love is a switch that you can just turn off and turn on. Like today, yeah, I love you. It's on. Tomorrow, yeah, you're not so lucky. I'm turning it off. The next day, yeah, you, 50-50, you might be on. You, you might be off. But that's what the world teaches us. You treat people according to how they treat you. You just reciprocate that. So if your spouse is a jerk, then you're a jerk, right? Well, they teach you. If they give it to you, what are you supposed to do? Give it right back. It never works out for us, yet that's what a lot of us do. You get louder, I get louder. You get louder, I, and we go back and forth until we just are maxed out and bad things start happening. See, in Christian, the sad thing is even in Christians' marriages, we, we base them on this love being a good feeling. But how many of you know your feelings will lie to you? Your feelings will convince you 100% that there are things that are true that just aren't. Even outside in other relationships, and your friend, your friends are talking about you. They hate you. They really don't like you. They think you're a dork. They don't, want, they don't want you around. Or you're at work, and the person in the station working next to you, that person, they really hate you. They don't, you know, because your emotions begin to take over and begin to tell you something that's not, that's not true. But even in Christian marriages, the sad thing is, if you look at current statistics, you are at no more likelihood of succeeding in a marriage if you're a Christian. Some studies actually say you're even more like, less likely to succeed for those of us who love Jesus in a marriage. Now, some of that is because the world has just given up on it completely. They just don't get married. So the statistics don't show that divorce or that separation because there's nothing sacred. There's nothing um, binding people together. It just whatever happens, you get tired, you move on. See, here's the world's way. Here's how the world says you should find your love. First, you locate the right person. I don't know about you, but as somebody who tried to do this, I hit a point in my life when I was in seminary, and when I was in seminary, I told God, I said, God, I want to graduate, but I would really like to be married and have all that out of the way because I want to go into ministry with, with my spouse and let's go full into ministry. I don't want to have to worry about the whole meeting somebody and dating and marrying. So that was my prayer. And so I went through several years of college and into, into my grad school, and I finally just had to say, God, you know what? I give up. I'm done. I'm done thinking that every person, every girl I meet, are you the one? Are you, you could be the one. Are you the one? Are you sure? You know, no? Okay, then move on to the next one. And I finally sat down on the beach in St. Augustine, Florida, and I just did this to God. I was like, God, I give up. This locating thing is not working. So we try to locate the right person. And then we say, well, then you fall in love. It's like love is a ditch that you just fall into, you know? And a lot of us probably think that way. That's how much thought we put into it. We just flop over into the ditch and say, I'm in love. Well, no, you're not. Your emotions are getting the best of you. Then here's where we make a mistake. Then we put all of our hope in them. I love Melanie. And she's as close to perfect as they get. 
But if I put my hope in her, she's eventually going to let me down. So we put all our hope in this person that we located, we chose, and then we fell in love with. And then the cycle says when failure, when failure occurs, just repeat step one, two, and three. So we just go around the horn again. Right? Well, look, what, look at the way the Bible says God's way is. God's way says you don't find the right person, you become the right person. Parents, this is what you're praying for, for your kids. You don't want them to locate the right person. You want whoever that person is that God has for them to follow God and become the right person, to be that man or woman of God that you would want for your son or your daughter. And then you don't fall in love. The Bible says that we walk in love. And it's every day. I don't really feel like it. It doesn't feel good, but I'm, just, I'm doing this every day. Because God says he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. We can expect love. Then the, third, the next one is if failure happens. And it fails not because God's messed up or he's got an error in the process. It fails because we screw it up. But the mercy and grace of God says if failure happens, then he lets us repeat steps one, two, and three. The problem with the first one is we keep going and we never... We, locate the person and we put our hope in them but that's not the way the bible teaches it really the reason i this is honestly the reason i don't my opinion and there's all kind of books and christian dating and all that kind of stuff here's my opinion as somebody who kind of did both the world's version of dating and then finally gave up and said okay god send me the person i think dating the way the whether you're in high school, college, or in your adult, maybe you are a single, look, an adult looking, praying for God to send you somebody. The problem with them, our system of dating is it prepares you to fail. It prepares us. Um, I'll tell you what it is. Can I just shoot straight? If you're visiting today, I'm sorry, but this is just truth. I think our world, our, our, what our world wants us to do and walk through and meeting the one is nothing more than divorce practice. And I say that knowing in the room there's people whose lives have been turned upside down. You've been wounded and hurt by divorce. Nobody, honestly, even the people who get married on a whim, don't get married going, woohoo, I'm going to get divorced. Because their emotions and they're, they're caught up in the love. But I think a lot of dating is just it's practicing for divorce. It's practicing to uh, here. It's practicing to act married without the commitment. And when you get tired of it, you do what? You get a new one. And when we look at it, we treat our cars a lot better than we plan and treat our spouses. I just trade you in, get another one, right? There's a newer model. I get a newer model and it'll work better. Well, no, it won't. Why? Because it's got the same driver. And in life, we just keep going and we go in circles and we go to another relationship and we think, well, why isn't this working? It's not the other person. You've probably heard this, me say this before, but I've counseled people and asked them on multiple relationships or, you know, they're five, six marriages deep. And they'll say to me, why do you think it doesn't work for me? And I'll ask them, what's the one commonality in all five of those relationships? And they'll name all kinds of stuff. And then I just point at them. It's like, it's you. You can't, all five different people, 
You're the only commonality. That's why the Bible says that we become the right person. It takes, it takes commitment. Here's God's way, and this is what has become an unpopular opinion because the, the dating is just not, not the, what the, world, the world's way of dating just doesn't line up with what the Bible says. Our culture struggles with this word, commitment. To anything. Why do you think we have contracts? They have anything you do. You, you get a phone, you have to sign a cell phone contract. You go to buy a house, you have to sign a contract, right? You get a streaming TV service. You are signing a contract. Why? Because they want something on you to keep you there, to keep you committed. And the way they do it in the world is to say we do it through a contract. See, in God's relationship with us, it, it takes commitment to the ultimate level. It takes commitment to the fullest. But God's word, he wouldn't say commitment. He would use this word called covenant. And covenant is simply this. There is no plan B. There's no other way. I'm never leaving. And I'm yours and you're mine forever and ever and ever. I'm in. That's what the Bible says God did with us. He formed with us a new covenant. The New Testament is God saying, I'm sending my son. You got me and I got you and I'm not leaving you. That's covenant. But we don't like that today. It's unpopular because it's permanent. There's no escape. That God never planned on leaving him because we're the ones that left him. And it even says in Hebrews 3 or 13, 5, that God has said, I'm never going to leave you and I'm never going to abandon you. Yet if we're honest, all of us in the room have done that. Maybe not in a marriage, but we've done that in relationships. We've said, I'm done with this, I'm out. Now I'll tell you this, if you've been here for a while, or maybe you've counseled with Melanie or I, this is usually where we start at this point. And this is free today, no charge. You don't have to come see me to counsel or come see Melanie. I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it away free today. This is where we start. The first thing you need to do for marriage, if you're struggling, is take this word right here, divorce, out of your vocabulary. Now, I'm not naive enough to think that if you stop saying it, it'll never happen because we're human. We do dumb stuff. We are hard-headed. But I'm going to tell you, if, if it's there, you'll use it. If there's an escape route, you'll take it. But when, when you walk in to go from full commitment into covenant, you begin to see that there's no way out. Because here's the bottom line. Let me ask you this. If you are perfect, never made a mistake, never said something dumb, perfect on every test in school, Everything you do is right. Would you please stand? Nobody. And if you're standing up at home, you can just sit down because you're full of it. Sit down. And there's none of us. We're all going to mess up. We're all going to need to feel the need to look for an escape. Like, I've messed up. I don't know how to fix this, so the best thing I can do is just bail. Well, that's not how God is. And God didn't do that to us. And I'm going to tell you this, and I mean this honestly from the bottom of my heart. I'm just, 
naive enough to think that there's not a heart that God can't heal and a relationship he can't restore. And I say this very clearly. No matter what the offense is, from the worst you can think to the minimal you can think in a relationship, I have watched God restore relationships that I thought there is no way. They've sat in our office and I've looked at, you know, looked at a guy and thought, that guy's just a jerk. He deserves everything he's getting. There's no way God's going to fix this. And then I watched God begin to heal and, and heal people and, and heal their relationships. And now I look back at some of those same people who have been married 15, 20 years. It may, it may be naive, but it's not about me. It's about a God who can do it. Now, listen, I say this again. I said this earlier. I understand. I understand that most of us in the room, your life has either been connected to a divorce or maybe you've been through divorce with an S. <laughs> and it's hurt. And it wounded you. And especially the guys, we like to say, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. We all hurt. And so I get it. There's very dark times we've gone through. But let me tell you this, that the Bible says he can heal that. And you need to know this too. The devil just doesn't go after marriages just to hurt you. He very much is. If you look at our country today, when people are arguing over marriage and arguing over who can get married and all those political, political and moral things they argue about, the devil's not just going after marriage because um, it hurts you. That's a bonus. Hurting you, wounding you, making you feel worthless, hurting your emotions, tying you up in bondage of rejection. That's just a bonus. The devil goes after marriage because marriage is the one thing in the Bible that God very clearly says, I'm going to show you what your marriage should look like by showing you what I'm doing for the church. And he, goes, he ties it directly through marriage all the way through the Bible. He attacks marriages because it's how the Bible describes our relationship with God as a covenant to love us, to show us grace and mercy. That God, again, has no plan B. He has no way out. God didn't say, well, I'm going to send Jesus, and if that doesn't work, I've got number two ready. That was never even in God's, in, my, in his mind. There's no bailing. God doesn't bail on us when we screw up. We're the ones that bail. Paul writes this talking about marriage. He says, I don't pretend to understand it all. But what is the clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. And then he says this, and this provides a good picture, provides us with an image to look at. Because when I say marriage, we think, most of us will think, guy in a tux, girl in a white dress, lots of crazy bridesmaid dresses, right? Guys who don't normally wear tuxes in tux. Some goofy preacher in a coat and jacket saying a bunch of stuff that we go, yeah, 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 hurry up because we want to get out of here, right? The Bible says, no, that's not at all what marriage is. The Bible goes on and on saying that marriage shows us and God shows us how a husband should treat his wife loving himself and, and loving her and how, how each wife is to honor her husband. And the image that it uses is the image of Jesus as the groom coming for his bride, 
the church. Now let me let you in on something. The church part is you and I. And the Bible says that through Jesus, God made us able to wear the white, to be pure, to be holy, to, be, to pay the price for our mess up. The problem is we've changed everything in love, everything in our marriages to hinge on one thing. And I've, I've really dumbed it down to this, that our commitment does not hinge on your mood. Now, whether you, what, I'm trying to be delicate. This is, these things is where I get myself in trouble and I'll pay for this later. <laughs> we say husband and wife should be understood. Lay in bed. You give her the wink. Nothing. What is my assumption? She's not in the... Oh, come on, don't act holy. She says something to me, her assumption, he's not in the mood. See, but the problem is that's maybe okay in that area of our marriages because, they're, frankly, there's times where, no, I'm just, no. She's the same way. It's life. But our love doesn't rise and fall or the, how we love or show love. Like God says, every time you look at me, you can expect what? Every time she looks at me, she should expect from me love. So our marriages can't rise and fall to the, to the level or the, the position of our, of our mood. See, because the Bible says covenant tells us I'm in all the way. I'm, I'm here 100% no matter what. I never can see an end because in my mind there is no end. Covenant says I know we're going to have rough spots. Right? And there's going to be times where this is tough. We've got sick kids, sick family, bills due, tight money. It's all happening. Covenant also says, I know you're not perfect. Covenant also says, I know I'm not perfect, perfect either. Some of us may need to soak that in a little bit. <laughs> I know you're not perfect. And we're not even thinking, well, I'm not perfect either. Covenant says, I'm not perfect, you're not perfect. The only one that's perfect in the relationship is God. And you say, well, wait a minute, Clint, that's three people. Yes. Because if it's not, you're never going to make I just, you're never going to make it. If the covenant didn't say, God, I'm here, and you gave me this woman, and we're in this thing together. Because the Bible says when man becomes one with the, his wife... God sees them as one. And it's covenant. Not expert, expectation of perfection, but an expectation of, I see no end because I've never thought about the end. There can't be an end because God says, I never end, so this can never end. Today, I want to do something. I want to reaffirm something with you. For some of you, this may be new. I want to reaffirm and show you God's covenant, God's commitment with you. You see, the problem is that we focus on the wrong thing. Or better put, we focus on the wrong person. We focus on the one who's not perfect. And people say, well, Clint, am I supposed to focus on my wife? Or am I supposed to focus on my husband? 
uh, let me just help you out. No. Why? Because they're flawed. Wives, you should look at, look at your husband now and say, see, I told you. I told you you were flawed. The preacher just said so. Wives, husbands, you can look back at your wife and go, well, yeah, he just said you're flawed too. There's nobody in here perfect, yet we focus on the one who's not perfect. In my life, I, I really have worked hard to have God and Melanie. If Melanie sits in the number one chair, we are in trouble. And Lord, help her in her life if she puts me in the number one chair. So it's God, spouse, kids, and everything else. That's covenant. It's me and her and God. The problem is when they falter and we're focused on them, we lose focus. Because now what was supposed to be rock and steady and solid is not. And it becomes fuzzy. If you know me at all, you'll know I love, I love airplanes. Big, small, of all kinds. I know the guys when we traveled to Honduras got tired of me talking about it. Like, I, just, I, like, I could sit and watch airplanes all day long. I could fly in airplanes all day. I, just, I love everything about aviation. And I was reading a story not too long ago about an F-16 pilot. If you don't know, an F-16 is a, is a big military airplane. Think Top Gun. And he was talking about how they fly so close together. They fly in formation and they fly, in some cases, within two to three feet of each other. They're traveling three, four, five hundred miles an hour at whatever altitude. Six or seven of them all doing this. We've all seen it if you've ever been to the air show and watched the Blue Angels and we just stand there like, wow. And he began to talk about how they do that. And when he said it, I thought, that is a great way to think about marriage. He said, when we fly that close together, we have a leader, we have a captain, we have God. And all of us fly such in a manner that we can all see him and we focus on one point on the underside of his jet. We don't watch anything else except that one point. We don't watch our instruments. We don't watch anything. We fly looking at that. And that's how they stay so close together. He said, and then he said this, and I, I love this. He said, I am completely committed to follow that point of reference. Let's rephrase that. I am in full covenant between me and that senior officer that I'm following, and I'm not taking my eyes off that. And he said, then he went on to say, he said, I know this is easy to talk about when the weather's clear and it's sunny and bright, but we train like our lives dependent on it because we know that eventually we're going to fly into clouds and the storms where we can see nothing else but him. And the worse the weather, what? The closer they have to get so they can still see that spot on his plane. And that's my focus. And then he said this, and if this is not a picture of marriage between covenant between us and God, I don't know what is. He said, we know we cannot separate because if we do, we will not survive. See, a lot of us are living our lives in marriage and we're, we're, we're fo I'm focused on you, honey. It's me and you. It's me and you. And then you realize one of you is not perfect and you crash and burn because, and he even said, he goes, if, some, if, that, if that lead pilot turns the plane over and points it straight on the ground, 
The other five of us will turn it over and we'll all follow him straight to the ground. We're so committed to following that dot on his plane because it is the only thing that keeps us safe, alive, and not crashing into each other. And that is what God did for you. He gave you something to focus on. He gave you something to, to turn to. Some of you, I know I can feel the push in the room. You're thinking, well, Clint, you don't know where I've been. You don't know how bad my ex hurt me. You don't know what kind of situation my marriage is in now. You just don't know. And you're right, I don't. But I do know that there's a God who can heal every heart and restore every marriage because I've seen it. But what I want to give you is this understanding that God never intended on you to make it in your marriage by yourself. The Bible is very clear that God gave us the strength. Philippians 4, 13. This is the verse I had when I was growing up playing sport. I had this written on everything because I realized how insufficient I was at all the things I wanted to do. But Philippians 4.13 says, For I can do everything who Christ, through Christ who gives me strength. It's not my strength. It's God giving me strength. See, God's commitment to us is this. He said, I'm going to send my son, that's Jesus, because you need a Savior. You can't save yourselves. You need somebody to help you get through your, and heal your marriage. You need somebody to heal your sickness. You need somebody to... to Pay for your sin. That Jesus, he sent Jesus, I'm ascending, but he's coming to pay your bill, to pay for your mess, the things you've screwed up, and the things you're probably still going to screw up, and he's going to forgive you of that too. But his commitment didn't stop there. The Bible tells us that when Jesus went to heaven, God said, okay, well, you still are going to need my power, my wisdom, my direction, and the best way I can give that to you is that when you receive Jesus, my Holy Spirit's going to be on the inside of you. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Well, if it can raise Jesus from the dead, then it can certainly heal my marriage. Amen? So you need to know these things. But the five I'm going to give you real quick, these are not for your spouse. These are for you. Because you can't give to your spouse what you haven't received yourself. And if you haven't received yourself, it's an easy thing. It's simply saying, Jesus, I'm sorry I receive it. And when you begin to understand this for yourself, you'll begin to understand that you can then show this to your wife, which then the Bible says the picture of your marriage is the picture of God sending his son, selflessly giving his life for, for us. That's the picture of a healthy marriage. And I want to encourage you with these five commitments. They're the best thing you can experience. You have to, under, you have to believe me. And the first one is you need to understand that you are God's highest priority. Well, there's a lot of people in the world. Well, I know. And the Bible is very clear. The Bible is very clear that God sent His Son, 1 John 3.16, that we know what real love is, that love that God said we can expect, because Jesus gave up His life for us. Well, how do you know that's just for me? I'm just going to give you one, one verse. There's several verses just like this one in Luke 15. The Bible says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, does he just stay there and protect his 99? What if we treated our kids that way? What if we're at Disney World somewhere and I got Emma and I got Mabel 
and suddenly Emma's gone, and I just went, hmm, oh well, I got another. We laugh, but have you ever lost your kid? I'm the only one. I remember sitting in the airport before Mabel got here. It was just me and Emma. If you know Emma, she will talk to anybody that moves. And she was two or three. And Melanie went to the bathroom in the airport. And I was doing what all good fathers do while they watch their kids. I was playing on my phone. And I look up and Emma's gone. In an airport, LAX to be exact, in Los Angeles. And sheer panic. Anybody ever had that, like everything tightens? Panic, terror. And on the back behind me, I hear Emma's little voice. And she is speaking to a Hispanic man in Spanish. Of course, she doesn't speak Spanish. The man was trying to figure out what she was saying. But never at one time in that feeling I go, "Eh, oh well, I got another one. See, the Bible says that God doesn't do that to us either. I've got 99, but wait a minute, wait, wait. 98, 99. Dang, where'd Jimmy go? I gotta go find Jimmy. I gotta go find, I gotta go find, you know, I gotta go find Hannah. I gotta go find, where'd they go? The Bible says of us that we are his priority. That he, he leaves the 99 and goes and finds the one. The Bible tells us another story. It's not in your notes, but he says, I have 10 coins. I lose one coin. You basically, you turn the house over to find that one coin. That one coin is, is the priority. God over and over and over says that you are his priority. I ask you, does your spouse feel that way? That if there's lots of things get thrown up in the air, which one are you going to catch? My girls know very much that the one thing they don't do is mess with mama or be disrespectful. I don't, I, that's the one thing, I, I go from zero to a hundred quick. You don't do that. Whether you're my kids or anybody else, you want to get under my skin? The one time I thought I was going to come to fisticuffs, and I was, this has been 10, 15 years ago, in Sylvania, was when a guy got uppity and got in Melanie's face. Yeah. We, your preacher would just about, would have been in jail. It just, no, you don't do that because she's my priority. The second thing, God is always in pursuit. People tell me all the time, Clint, I've just gone too far. I've been away from church for 15 years or I've never been in church. God's not looking for me. He's long forgotten about me. Oh, no, no, no. That's not what the Bible says. Matter of fact, and if you don't know your Bible, you can learn this. The book at the end is called Revelation. Revelation is God saying, here's how we win. This is what's going to happen at the end for those who know Jesus. It says in Revelation 3.20, look, I stand at the door and I knock. He's not just standing at the door. He's standing at the door and knocking. If you just hear my voice and open the door, I'm coming in. Did he get? He's always in pursuit of us. Number three. He gives us a place to belong. Usher, you guys can do your thing. Ban, y'all can go ahead and come on. He gives you a place to belong. It's human nature. God has built in all of us. We have this overwhelming need to belong. It's why people do such crazy things and radical things for, 
For like these Islamic groups, they want to belong, they want to be a part of it, and they feel like they have value. God says, you don't need to worry about that because I've given you a place to belong. Romans 8.1 says that, so there's now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Peter writes it this way, that you're a chosen people, that we are God's very own possession. That's why I think God did the local church, because we're the body. We're a place to belong. We even teach you in our One Step Connect that we're a place that you can, you can protect people and be protected yourself. That's why God put us here together. And number four, a place of protection. Psalm 91, if, you've ever, if you ever want, if you're in fear about being protected, read Psalm 91, read the whole thing. I'm going to give you a few verses here. It says, for he will rescue you from every kind of trap. He'll protect you from deadly disease. If you skip on to verse 11, if he'll order his angels to protect you wherever you go. And in verse 14, the Lord says, I will rescue those who love me and I will protect those who just trust my name. Who understand that we're in covenant together, that we're in life together. And then number five. And this is important for your marriages. He always gives you a path to be restored. There's always a way out of the doghouse. I want you to ask yourself, for those of you who are married in the room or watching online, you ask yourself this question. We know I'm not perfect. We know my spouse is not perfect. So when one of us messes up, is there a way out of the doghouse? Or do you just force them to prove a point? You just lay there in it. You made this mess, you just, you just suffer in it for a while. Like it's a dog you're potty training. We do it. We've all done it. I'll show you. I'll give you the silent treatment. You think you're getting anything tonight, honey? Just, right? And we Google because we've all done it. But a lot of us would move quicker to, clean, to help the dog out of a mess than we would our spouse who's messed up. Do they have a way out? The Bible says of us, he, he sent Jesus, and he didn't even say clean up before you come. He just said come. And then Jesus said, now I'll pay for all your mess. Look what the Bible says. Go ahead and stand with me if you will. The Bible says this in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess, and here's the path, here's the way out for both you spiritually and here's the way you should be offering it to your spouse. I forgive you. You say, God, I messed up. You confess your sins. He's faithful and just, and he'll forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He gives you a way to make you clean. He gives you a way to get the stink that you made off of you. And the Bible's very clear that we should come and we should treat our spouse like Christ treated the church. And this is especially true for the men. Your wife doesn't need the big, and you may be, I mean, I, I know I am, the big muscle-bound protector, right? Don't laugh. And don't get me wrong, they want to be protected. Your wives, your spouses, guys love to be protected. But what they need more than anything is somebody that can look at them and go, I messed up, I need you to forgive me. Or you hurt me, but I forgive you. That's what they need. Just the way we needed a God who forgave us. First Timothy 2, Paul writes this, and we'll close with this. 
that God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth that they're not perfect, they need a Savior, and when they do, life is better. Eternity is better. Your marriage is better. And that's my prayer for you today. You offer them what God offered you. And not only you, and for you to offer it, you have to have experienced it. If you'll bow your head and close your eyes. I'm not inviting anybody up front. I'm not embarrassing anybody. I'm just ask, simply asking you, have you experienced those five things? Do you know your value? Do you know God's pursuing you? Even when you screw up, even when you've blown it, that God is pursuing you. If that's you this morning, heads bowed and eyes closed, just wave at me real quick. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray with you. Anybody say, hey, that's me. All right, there's a couple. Then let's pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, today I ask you to forgive me of my sin, and I receive you today as my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says that you can now experience, you're walking in all those five. I'm going to pray real quick, and I just wanted to bless marriages today, but before I do, just remind you that to my right, your left, we always have somebody over there. I think Pastor Bob and Tammy are over there today. If your marriage is struggling, if you have a relationship that's struggling, or you just need somebody to agree with you on anything, please know we're always here to pray for you. We'd love to. The Bible says we lift you up in faith. So before we go, we're going to sing one more song. I just want to bless you, and I want to bless your marriage, and then we're going to sing. God, I thank you in Jesus' name for all the marriages in this room, all those watching online. Father God, all those who are engaged, all those who are even thinking about marriage. God, that we can understand you and what you did for us through your son Jesus. And God, you can heal hearts, heal emotions, and God, through the power of your Holy Spirit and the power of your forgiveness, you heal marriages. And I thank you for it now, Father. I thank you for healing life today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said.